Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, uh, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist and I also do psychotherapy. I study meaningful coincidences like synchronicity and serendipity because they're useful and they're possible explanations about how reality works, but they're also a lot of fun. And one of the things I've seen recently is that instead of just instead of trying to figure out what it means to me or what it tells me about reality sometimes coincidences are just fun in themselves and because i'm curious they also can provide clues to the workings of consciousness you can order my new book meaningful coincidences uh in the text below uh, and that's a picture of the cover over my right shoulder. Uh, it's been fun getting out trying to tell people about it and that that effort continues. It's, it's great to do a book tour right from your own house, which is what I'm doing. So this is a, this is a coincidence that happened to me on Sunday. I, 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 was, uh, I was at a park near here, uh, Riverview Park, and, and it is next to a river and it's, um, really was a beautiful autumn day and I'd gone for a walk with a friend and I was walking back to my car after a rest along the river uh, putting my feet in the mud along the river was a great feeling and then okay it's time to go home and I saw a woman up ahead as I was going to my car um, in a wheelchair and her back was to me and she was with a woman next to her, probably, uh, who, was, who was taking care of her. And in parallel, as I was looking at these two women, I was wondering what time it was. And then I thought about maybe asking them what time it was, but nah, I didn't. And as I was walking right past them, near enough to hear them talk, I heard the attendant woman say, it's 4.36 and we will go in 15 minutes. So the thing I was wondering about got answered for me without having to ask it. It was as if they heard my thoughts, as if I had projected the question out to them, they had heard it and respond to it, to it and they were ready to be able to think about it too. So it was, uh, it was a dance of two people, of three people together. So I get curious about how that happens. Our guest today is Derek Abbey, who's originally from Seattle. He spent 23 years in the United States Marine Corps, serving as an enlisted Marine and an officer, both on the ground and in the air. This included serving as an FA-18 aviator and in the special operations community. I mean, he was into this stuff, ladies and gentlemen our first military guest on Connecting with Coincidence. 
He studied history at Oregon State University for his undergraduate edu education. He holds an MA in higher education, leadership, leadership, and a PhD in leadership studies from the University of San Diego. Today, he is president and chief executive officer of Project Recover. You can get the link in his bio on my on the podcast site. Well, welcome to the show, Derek. Thanks, Bernard. It's a pleasure to join you. Congratulations on your new book. Well, thanks. Well, thanks. Uh, this uh, leadership thing uh, we'll get to, but uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, this one guy got a PhD in leadership and synchronicity. Uh, where synchronicity helps leadership. Now, I think you kind of know that, uh, and, but I'm, uh, it got formalized. And he goes around teaching leaders about how to use synchronicity as part of their leadership activities. But what we'll talk about is your leadership and some coincidences that have involved you in Project Recover. So I guess we should start with what is Project Recover, and you could tell us uh, a major coincidence story that had a major impact on you. Yeah, Project Recover is a, an organization that's been around in some capacity now for close to three decades. And our mission is to search for, locate, document, and ultimately recover Americans missing in action from our previous wars. And we've had a lot of success doing that. Uh, I've been a part of the organization for, uh, well, uh, almost 19 years now in, in some capacity. And um, I became connected to the organization when I, when I was a Marine. It was started by a gentleman named uh, Dr. Pat Scannon, and uh, he started doing this work in the nation of Palau in the South Pacific, um, initially on his own, and, and then realized, you know, he might see, need some help working in the jungles and the waters around Palau and started bringing in like-minded individuals. And when he was doing this work, he would do a lot of research, um, interviewing World War II veterans at the time. He'd go to the re these reunions. Um, of World War II squadrons and update them on his work, but also interview the veterans to help um, locate some of their missing uh, members. And it was at a World War II reunion that, that I met Pat. I was um, in a fighter squadron. I had just come back from a deployment overseas. Um, by happenstance, got a, um, a phone call that I, in the ready room one day, it was a World War II veteran who was seeking information about um, members of the squadron and and we didn't have any information but i just asked him you know why by information what was he seeking uh contact information for other members of the squadron to to invite them to this world war ii reunion and you know i happened to get the call and i just asked him you know what he wanted the information for and what they were doing and he says we're having a, a reunion in in um indiana and i said well i want to go and and so me and a colleague flew out to Indiana and, and joined the World War II cadre. And they were asking us about, you know, tell us about Iraq and, and F-18s. And we said, nobody cares about Iraq and F-18s. Tell us about Corsairs and World War II. And nobody cares about Corsairs and World War II. But it was really nice opportunity to, to connect with uh, former members of that squadron. And it was through that process that I met Pat. And Pat and I became fast friends. He invited me to be in the organization. And... Um, I was, I was excited to support, didn't really know how I would support, but um, uh, it aligned with my values. And so I agreed to do so. At the time I was deploying quite a bit. Um, and so it took me a while to go on my very first mission, but I came back from a deployment overseas, unpacked my seat bag, packed a suitcase and, and joined the team 
in the nation of Palau, where we would spend a few weeks searching the jungles and waters uh, for Americans missing in action. And it was on that very searching first- for the remains of Americans missing in action. Correct. Correct. Yeah, these were World War II losses. Um, so yes, the remains and, and answers to provide to those families. And on my very first mission, I was uh, a part of discovery in a very, very dense, thick mangrove. We located a site um, and that site happened to be uh, a World War II member of my squadron. And, you know, I was already um, engaged in this work and committed to this work. But at that at that time, it just really took it to a whole nother level. One, um, that this is a reality and this work can, can pay off like this. But I've actually made a connection across time with a, a former member of my unit. Uh, found them and now we can provide answers to those families and you know at the time I didn't realize that this would be work that I would continue for the decades to come but and that I would end up you know becoming president and CEO of this organization but but here we are today and that was really those points were what led to to me being where I'm at today. Well in the where is Palau I don't I don't know. A lot of people aren't familiar with that. So it's a small nation in in the South Pacific. It's about 500 miles to the southwest of Guam and another 500 miles east of the Philippines. So number of small islands, about 20,000 people live there. Um, but some fierce fighting took place during World War II. There was an amphibious assault, but there was also nine major air campaigns um, there and a number of losses and, and hundreds that were still missing uh, after World War II and remain missing today. You know... <laughs> As you tell the story, I mean, I assume the member of your squadron was not alive at the time. No, 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 no. But you still were able to identify his remains on the island of Palau. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it starts with, you know, um, we know certain sites that we're looking for. Um, And typically we look for aviators, although we don't only look for aviators um, because it's easier to find an aircraft that's been missing for decades than it is to find an individual. Um, And once we find that aircraft, we determine what type of aircraft it is. And then once we know what type of aircraft it is, exactly which aircraft it is. And once we know that, we know the crew associated with it um, or with that loss, and then we can determine if they're uh, missing in action or not, and then work on a recovery. I'm glad to get that clearer. Um, It's the airplane that gets you. Yeah. So even today, a lot of people even people that have known me for a long time introduced me and they say, hey, this is Derek. And he he looks for lost aircraft and I'm kind of left like, no, that, that's not what we look for. That's the means to the end. Um, it's just, yeah, exactly that it means. Uh, well, you, you, you need you need to be able to find the aircraft so you can identify the people in the aircraft. Right. Uh, and be able to, to report about to family members uh, more details about their deaths right. and how it how and probably some idea even about how it happened. So well, you just time, those families don't know anything. All they received um, was a telegram that said <laughs> that their loved one was missing and is presumed dead. And um, and MIA loss is different than somebody that's killed or died. Um, when somebody dies, we, we, we know that they're gone. Um, there's role changes that take place. There's ceremony around it. But when, an, uh, somebody goes missing, um, a lot of that stuff is put on pause. Um, there's hope that the, their loved one is still alive. 
Um, they fill the void with stories many times. This person becomes a mythical figure, and then that's passed from generation to generation. And um, we can provide true answers to that and allow that grieving process to continue, even though it might have stopped decades ago. Yeah, that's that's what's so important in all this is this what the value is to the family and this this value to the family seems to be a major driving force in you oh absolutely absolutely i'd say people tend to go through three phases um when they become a member of our organization and i've outlined two of them the first one is is hey this seems to align with my values maybe i can contribute in some way and become a member and then the second phase and for me it was Wait a minute. That's a value. Uh, maybe you contribute somehow. How? Yeah. So the the mission uh, aligns with my my values or the individual's values in the sense of never leave um, a service member behind or um, providing answers to families, being a part of this greater community, and they might contribute their their time, their expertise, their efforts in in finding them and providing answers for um, these families. And so this is this is your way of honoring these yeah. servicemen yes. and their families and absolutely and to give back and this is this is your a passion of yours i see it as we're talking about it this is your deep feeling of wanting to be able to do this for the family members and for the servicemen themselves absolutely and not just mine every member of our organization um, is passionate about it and and many in the community want to, to participate and provide their expertise and efforts and um, treasure to, to, to make it a reality. And, and then when it becomes a reality, that's really the second phase because it could take years before you participate in a discovery or finding a site. And, and that moment is, is pretty incredible. And all the blood, sweat and tears that went into searching and, and gathering information and leading to that moment, um, now it's a reality. Um, you're looking at a site that maybe nobody's seen for seven, eight decades, and and you know what the outcome is going to be, that people are going to have answers to long-held questions um, once we can provide that information to, to families. And so that's really the second phase of it is, wow, this is, this is real. And that's the experience that I had um, when we found that, that member of my squadron is, not only is this real, wow, there's a direct connection to my own personal lineage and, and things like that. Well, tell us about that. That was a meaningful coincidence for sure that yeah. uh, when you first started getting into operate to recovery, you, you project recovery, you, the, at the beginning kind of, you were, you, you were part of a group that found somebody that was in your squadron. Yeah. And that's, that's a meaningful coincidence you know, in lots of ways, but from my perspective, uh, lots of times coincidences happen during transition. And this was a transitional time for you. You had possibilities of your future. You were doing this because you felt it and you wanted, but somehow this really impacted you finding uh, this other guy, this guy in your squadron uh, did something to you. Could you tell us about what that did to you? Yeah. You know, um, leading up to the mission, I was doing my own research and preparing for um, going to Palau and searching these sites. And there were a number of people we were looking for. And I did note that, you know, there's this member of my squadron that's missing and wouldn't it be
don't know how that happens. Uh, that's my fault. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but uh, we were, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, wouldn't it be incredible if we could somehow find um, this member of my squadron? Of course, there no MIA is worth more than another. But for me, there was a personal connection. To so you already had him in mind. I did. I did. Wow. But it didn't seem like a reality. You know, it didn't why did seem... you have? Why did you have him in mind? Because I knew about the losses, and I knew that my squadron had flown there and had losses there, and um, and, and so did you have this particular guy in mind? I did. I did. Why? I why? Why did because you? Because I had been to this World War II reunion. I had met his squadron mates. We had we had served in a different in the or excuse me, we served in the same squadron, just you know, decades apart, and and Marines are you know we 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 take a lot of pride in our history. And, and so just there was this direct connection across time. And, and so, you know, in my mind, I just kept on thinking, wouldn't it be incredible if we could um, find this site? And we didn't have a lot of information, but we did had some information. Um, and the information that we had pointed to this very, very dense mangrove jungle. And even finding something in that jungle was it didn't seem like it was a possibility because you could barely move through it. But um, we went in there and our master guide, Joe, you know, went on on his own like he always does and started combing the jungle. And we had some small radios and he radioed back and says, you know, I think I found something you might be interested in. And we got over to him and sure enough, here's a piece of aircraft. And from there, we kind of fanned out and quickly found more and more and more of this aircraft and and quickly realized whose aircraft it was and that it was this member of my squadron and to pull on the coincidence string a little bit more right after that we get a phone call from the united states and it's a it's from the family of a gentleman named walt meyer and i had met walt meyer at this world war ii reunion he was the squadron commander um of that squadron in world war ii and the reason that his family was reaching out to us is they wanted to invite us to walter's 90th birthday party and and we had to say, you know, we can't come because we're in Palau. However, we would really love to connect with you when we get back. And we were able to go home and join Walter at his home just south of San Francisco and express, you know, our happy birthday wishes. And at the same time, tell him that we found a missing member of his squadron. So, you know, all these things just come together uh, at, at one time is is pretty incredible to be a part of. And, um, and it was life-changing for, for me, it was life-changing for Walter and every member of our, of our team. So, uh, yeah. And I can't, I can't explain all the things that, that brought those, uh, the timing of all that together, but yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happens too. We, uh, we want, I mean, my job is to try to explain some of these things, but you right. have to, you have to start with like, uh, what happened, um, and I, I was, I'll go to, uh, I think you said his name was Joe, the, the guy who... Well, dang is saying, yeah. <laughs> who could go through the mangrove groves to find out, to find stuff that you couldn't even move around in. Uh, yeah, so he, he's, he's one with the jungle, that's for sure. So he, he could feel the place. And, and that, that I call human GPS, the ability to get where you need to go without knowing how you get there. It's uh, funny you say GPS because we say it's JPS, Joe positioning system and he is he he is he can feel the jungle that's a that's a great way to explain it as well as the water um he notices things that are out of place um much better than than we do 
and he's been instrumental in almost all of our discoveries and and pull out. And there's he has a he has an ability which he probably can't describe, but he has a feeling as well as knowing. And he knows the jungle, he knows the water, but he has a feeling of the whole place and also where he wants to go. He can right. put it in his mind. I want to get to this place but i don't know where it is and somehow he finds his way there and that's what i call uh, human or internal gps yeah. and you call it jps it's a human capacity we all have that is developed potentially developed can be developed by each of us but he represents yet one other variation on the coincidence uh, idea that i'm studying then there, then there is the birthday call. Right. And I didn't get it straight, but when you say member of your squadron, you mean the same squadron, but decades previously. Uh, generation. I right. thought it was somebody, generations before. I didn't get that for a long time. Because yeah. to you, it's all the same. I mean, there's no time there. You're, you're part of the squadron. They're part of your squadron, even though they're generations apart. It's very much a Marine mindset. Once Marine, always Marine. Anytime a Marine meets another marine it doesn't matter if one person is 18 years old and the other person is 80 years old there's always an exchange and an acknowledgement of being fellow marines um we say semper fidelis it's a greeting um in many ways always faithful it's our motto um but when marines meet each other across generations that's something that we say to each other it doesn't matter if we have known each other for years or it's the first time that we've met each other um there's that acknowledgement that we are part of the same group Semper Fidelius. Yes, yes, yes. Always faithful. Always faithful. Well, we're getting a better idea here, here, me and our audience about where you're coming from. Remember, you're the your first military guy and Marines are not exactly the same as other people. And I've always known that, too. But now I, I get a little better feeling for the from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. I mean, I grew up I love the, the cadence of that and the kind of worldness of it. So I have, you know, as a, as a young, as a boy, I had some feeling for what you're talking about, but here it is. So then there's, hey, Derek, you want to come to a birthday party? <laughs> right. And that's right after you find the airplane and have some information about the squadron member, right? Yes. And then, I mean, and it's not just that. Three days later, we end up interviewing a an elder in Palau. And, you know, our interview tactics are not leading at all. We don't provide any leading qu questions or something like that. But this older gentleman starts telling us a story of when he was a, a young boy during World War II. And he watches an airplane crash into those mangroves. And... Um, we hadn't told him that we had located the site or anything, but he starts telling the story. And then after he finishes his story, well, we asked him, did you know, did the Japanese go into the mangroves afterwards to see if they could find the aviator or anything like that? And he said, no. And then we said, well, has anybody over the years ever gone into those mangroves to search for that site or, or find that site? And he says, no, you'd have to be crazy to go into those mangroves. Nobody goes in there. And then once we've complete, we completed the interview, we, we, we told him that we had found this site in those mangroves and he thought we were the craziest people ever. But of course, you know, we didn't find the eyewitness before we found the site. We found the eyewitness after we found the site, which was, uh, but no matter what, we found it and he, he provided some confirming information.
Well, kind of makes you wonder, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, like, uh, wouldn't happen to make you feel a little guided or anything, would it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's we've had so many different cases like this, and we always say in Project Recover that we don't believe in coincidences. And we've said that so many times over the years because of stories like this. And one time a family member um, at an event said, well, they're not coincidences, they're angel taps, and you should just be listening to them. And so that's a term that we've coined from from that family member, just because we think it sums it up, sums it up in so many ways. But, you know, when you're seeing these things occur over and over again, maybe you should start paying more attention to them. (laughs) I wonder if you might say that again, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the consciousness piece that you you talk about, right? So being conscious to it, aware of them and, and, um, you know, maybe they're pointing you in a direction you should pay attention to. Well, that's fundamental to what I'm doing. You got it. Um, pay more attention to them. But to have have us know that U.S. Marine Corps is into meaningful coincidences for whatever cause we might explain them with, uh, but that you're doing them is like uh, really a, a good expansion. Because uh, I think they happen to human beings. It doesn't matter what you belong to. And to me, the one of the driving forces is uh, is the cohesiveness of the Marines and the passion you feel for other Marines so that you're in a group that has a mind that's separate over time as well as space and that you're all part of it. And that interconnectedness is established. It's in your hearts as well as your minds. And I think that's a fundamental element that allows these coincidences to happen. Not the only explanation, but I haven't really been able to hear of a group mind like this that's so determinedly connected and has an objective in mind. I've not had that experience as close as playing football, and that's not the same. It's an idea of it, but it's something like it. So I appreciate hearing you and have some idea, as I just tried to describe, what contributes to it. You got hit in the face with it. Here it was. And mangroves grow in water. Yeah, it's a, it's right on the edge of uh, the water. So it's a swampy type of area. So right on the edge of the islands, as where the, where the island meets the ocean. Yeah, yeah. so that's... I don't, we're not going to go into like how you got there actually even though jps got you there uh <laughs> it's it's um uh, let's say it's a it's a difficult trek let's say yes and and you ask our members that have spent time in there we can try and explain what the mangroves are like but you can never accurately put it into words and um it always exceeds expectations once people <laughs> um find themselves in that environment by exceeding expectations you mean even more difficult than you right, describe right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the comments are like wow you weren't lying about this this is worse than i thought it was going to be <laughs> well, it, so we, we talked about the marine corps but um that that mindset is really what drives project recover and you know not all of us are our former military a number of our members are our former military are active military or have some sort of connection to that um, but they're not all that. They're just people that are completely committed to this mission. 
and it is that exact um you know common mindset that that drives us um on this mission and and we listen to you know those those coincidences that that are not a coincidences at all but angel taps as we refer to them and other things and 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 see where they take us and how they might guide us in in completing this mission and and many times over they've they've assisted with that what you've come to do very clearly is to expect these angel taps mm -hmm. you've come to expect them right yeah and we're not surprised by them at all anymore where you know other people might say wow that's an incredible coincidence we just say of course of course my reaction is that's baseball, but that's not what you call it. <laughs> it's the way it's just the way it is. Uh, it's part of reality. And I'm trying to be able to to have uh, anybody who listens and other, other, other people outside to recognize what you've recognized and what your colleagues recognize. These are part of our reality and we can use them to to accomplish things that we want to accomplish, as you're talking about, to feel more connected to our environment and the people who are involved with us, and also to help sharpen our purpose in life. You were wondering what you were going to do with yourself. Uh, you, you have leadership training. Uh, you had a, probably had enough of being in just a, a regular Marine or as if you were one, but you wanted to do something else. And then the beginnings of Project Recovery uh, and you got together and the happy accident that uh, has led to our discussion. And then once all those things happen, you become used to having meaningful coincidences happen and they help you, they've helped you, but they help other people also find a purpose in life. Absolutely. And, and that's a major idea I'm trying to suggest, what you represent that that. And it's impacted my life in different ways. You know, I have a personal um, mission statement, if you will, and it's it's to have a positive impact on as many people as I can throughout my lifetime. And what that impact is, is, is subjective. But um, how I've let that guide me is when doors are open for me, and and that could be coincidences, but or opportunities or things like that, um, I don't ignore them. But I'll put a little energy into those opportunities as they present themselves and if they allow me to grow my sphere of influence in a positive way then i put more and more and more energy into them and that's happened with project recover um this this door presented itself um i didn't shut it i walked through it and explored the opportunity and now it's growing to you know helping create impact across the world um, especially with these gold star mia families um, when their loved one is returned to them or we provide answers to them. But then it's also happened in other places in my life uh, as well. It's I work I, a lot in higher education I space. I want to find out about these, these other parts of your life where uh, it also happens. But I also want to emphasize what, what you just said, is that you see them as hints or clues of perhaps something that you might be able to do. Mm -hmm. Something that will be the next step in your life. Uh, it's, it's a door that opens and you decide to walk through it. And that's so important. A lot of people have coincidences that are potential doors that they don't walk through. Right. And you have oh. learned, yes, I see this 
I'm going to walk through this. And you've learned to be able to trust them. Now, one of the funny questions I, I like to ask is uh, in a circumstance like this, because I ask myself, sometimes coincidences aren't doors you want to want to walk through. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a there's a potential problem there. Uh, can you relate to that? Yeah. Well, um, so the door isn't always an opportunity, but it's it's something worth exploring. So maybe it's a caution, maybe it's a um, a hint of other of some sort. Um, so if somebody reaches out to me about something and I, I'm not really sure what it is, I, I'm always kind of well, I'm open to the conversation and start the conversation. And maybe that opens up more and more doors, or maybe it's, that's the end of it, or it's not something that I'm um, going to explore anymore. Or it's a, it's a direct, it, it's a shift or a pivot into another direction. Um, but I'm willing to explore what it might be. And, and what I've seen is, and it's, it's kind of counter to what a lot of people think. So when I hear people talk about, you know, what's your passion? Um, for me, um, going through these doors have exposed me to what my passion is. And, and because it, for me, it's more of a general sense, it's a positive impact. And I acknowledge that that's subject, subjective to me, but again, it's my life. So that's fine. Um, so, you know, this has become my passion because of the impact that we've been able to create. And it's also manifested in other parts of my life. Um, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, you know, what, what are your passions? I wouldn't be able to point to these things that, and these impacts that are being created today. Um, that, but this, I'll start with those opportunities or those doorways. This, this is so important in what I'm trying to say, Derek, uh, and it, what you're saying, you're kind of giving voice uh, in your way to that, the idea that you open these doors and you find your passion uh, mm -hmm. and you can, that will happen has happened with you outside of project recovery. Mm -hmm. Could you give us an example of that from outside? Yeah, um, I work also quite a bit in the higher education space, specifically with the military population. And um, I, I grew up my, my raised by a single mom, didn't graduate high school, who died when I was very young. And um, so then as I was growing up and becoming an adult, education became kind of success to me and something that I sought and um, found. And then with that, um, I, I uh, had an, an impact or the ability to make an impact in the higher education space. And it, and it was another coincidence that that occurred. I um, got sent by the Marine Corps to attain my master's degree. And at the time I had been deploying across the, the world quite a bit. And when the opportunity presented itself, initially I just saw it as a break from consistent deployments. And so I returned from the Middle East. I started this master's program and I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to take a break. Well, three weeks into it, I was like, well, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with this education to make a difference. And the timing, of course, was when there was a huge influx of military into higher education. And um, I saw that I could speak military. I was learning about the higher education. And so I could be um, I could work that boundary in working with the military. And so I started doing research on what institutions were doing with the military on their campuses or weren't doing, and then created a thesis around that. Well, that translated because I put the energy into that and more and more opportunities. And so when I first left the service, 
um, I started uh, working in higher education and running military programs at the University of San Diego, at San Diego State University, and was able to have a positive impact on those military-connected students on those campuses. Um, and really, that would have occurred had that timing not been there, or had I not been open to um, exploring that further. That timing had not occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, another very common form of coincidences is being in the right place at the right time. Oh, we're very, very familiar with <laughs> quote unquote luck uh, when it comes to Project Recover and, and finding success on our missions. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I want to wander into luck with you right now, but we could. Uh, you could call this luck that you that your military ba the, the military background, your education interest, and then the influx of military people into the schools was mm -hmm. luck. You can call that luck. Um, and you the, the different names. I'm not going to try to uh, explanations. I'm not going to try to do so much with you. We'll we'll say with luck and and angel taps. Uh, yeah because I have my own ideas about, about them, but just the richness of your coincidence experience is what's so wonderful about all this. So it can expand our viewers' uh, idea that they happen in all walks of life um, under the right conditions with the right person. I mean, you have to be what you are, which and probably always have been is like curious and 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 with a big heart of trying to help and so you're curious about how you could help and you had you walked into this world with that in you and you know for various reasons you came out with those two things in you curious and and a heart to help and there you were looking you have been looking you have been willing to look around and see what opportunities there might be there. And luck, according to Louis Pasteur, among others, is when opportunity meets preparation. Right. And you were looking for an opportunity that you were prepared to do, but you weren't sure what it was. I like to add to that, and you're, and you're moving around. You got to be like, look, having things happening for you around you so that you can see something happening. So your, your luck at least in this education one was you had an opportunity and you were, you grasped it and went for it. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's your life. I'm going to say. Yeah. And I, I mean, then that's, that's kind of a, I don't know if it's a routine, but it's, it's just the way I go about business really, as far as my, my personal life and, and what I'm trying to do with my life and the impacts that I'm trying to create. Sometimes I don't know what those impacts are, but when, the opportunity presents itself. And, and like you said, I've prepared myself and, and I'm the instrument to um, assist. Then, then I'll, I'll utilize my expertise, my energy and my efforts. to. to well, that's an important uh, little phrase you, you, that you're the instrument. That's um... all right, Derek, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I mean the preparation part, right? I mean, I think I, I'm an instrument to, to make change in a positive way throughout the world. I provide, provided or prepared myself um, to, to be available to that and, and to make a difference. And that's been through educating myself and creating expertise in certain areas and expanding my voice and, and things like that. And so in this case, you know, the higher education opportunity presented itself. And so it's like, well, 
as I as I kind of presented it, I I could speak Marine or I could speak military. And then the the language and jargon between the military and higher education um, are a little different. But I could literally be the Rosetta Stone, if you will, across that boundary um, that would help these military members and their family members that are seeking higher education find it and find success in it. And hopefully that led to um, their own success in the areas that they want to be successful in. And, and really that's what I am. I'm that instrument or that cog and that boundary that would help with those. And I would continue to improve myself to be the best instrument possible. And it's the same thing with Project Recover. I'm in this role as president and CEO. I'm consistently trying to improve myself to be the best instrument possible to not only find my own success, but find success of the organization, um, success of our mission, and provide answers for these families. It reminds me of a, of a, a phrase that's been out there for a while, uh, be the change that you want to see. And you've given me a little different idea about that. Um, be, be changing the way you want change to take place. It's not just be. It's, it's not stagnant, no. It's not stagnant, yes. It's, it's keep developing yourself. So being the change you want to see is out there is a, not a stagnant thing. It is something you can keep working on. There is a foundation, though. The foundation is, you know, personal values, and, and and then harnessing that my work to that, um, so that when distractions come in, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, are these doorways always opportunities or are they other things? So when sometimes they can be distractions, and if they are that, are they drawing me away from that foundation? Or are they reinforcing that foundation and opening more opportunities? And so the they're, they're, the stagnant part of it is the foundation and then um, growing from that. Well, it's not stagnant. Uh, that's fixed. I'd rather call it fixed. Right. Stagnant yeah, implies that's, that's, that's right. That's not that's a better word. It's yeah. th this is the foundational. I mean, that's mm -hmm. and I have I I share a foundational set too and what i we all need to have a foundation of values in use and how to utilize the meaningful coincidences that come into our life rather than using them in some kind of uh, perverted way from your from your major direction use them all of them all the weird stuff that can happen even if it might seem like it's not there but mm -hmm. use it Oh, wait a minute. How can I use it's all there around me? I just have to figure out how I can use it, even if it's something that I know I should stay away from. That's telling me something too about where the boundaries are for what I am doing. I'll try this out. And I've done this too many times where I open a door and say, oops. <laughs> and yep. you've had to have that too. That's how you learn. Learn, right? That's way. a learning opportunity. It's a learning opportunity. It's always this, all this a learning opportunity. Uh, learn to discern is a nice little rhyme we can yeah. put together today uh, that you have learned to be able to do. Um, my continue to learn that's for sure well if you don't continue you're not, then you're going to get stagnant you've you've got to if you're long as you're alive you got to keep hey keep moving you know it's like yeah. like the cops telling the the guy the guy who's trying to sleep in the sidewalk keep moving 
keep moving. <laughs> yeah, I identify with some of those guys who are sleeping out there on the on the cold uh, when they got to like keep moving because I've 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 had a little I've know what that's like and it's like keep moving and that's what you're doing and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. How does how does your experience with being the leader, the president and CEO of Project Recover, how does, how does your involvement with uh, Angel Taps uh, influence the people around you? Well, of course, I can't take full credit for that. I think we have an, an organization full of leaders, and I don't think of leadership as positional. Um, of course, I'm, I'm in this position, so it does make a difference. And, but um, I think you, hey, you've got to do that humble thing. I realize that. Right. I mean, and you've got to, and that's right. Cause you're part of a team and part of a group and each one of them is making a contribution and to be a leader the, like that. You've got to be okay. But what you just said, but let's talk about, I'm sorry to tell you, Derek, but <laughs> human beings like to look up to the leader yeah. as, as much as they like to smash the leader down also, uh, both of them are there as part goes with the territory. Yeah. And how they know how you think about angel taps. Yeah. Because you're not going to not tell them. No. And, and, and so, and I think of it too as innovation. We're an innovative organization. Uh, we do have a foundation that's fixed and that has guided us as we have um, grown and scaled the organization. But when I think about angel taps and what that means for the work that we do is, is really in the space of innovation. Like how do we um, continue to grow, continue to be creative, um, continue to learn, um, try new things to be the best possible um, organization and, and, and execute this mission in the best way possible. And, and we are consistently learning. Um, and so that's something that I, I try to display and also try to tell the members of our organization that we need to be innovative. And so if you want people to be innovative, um, you have to give them the room to, to do that. And you also have to give them the room to fail because the first time they trip up and stumble or they don't find success when they're trying something new, they're going to immediately look at you and see how you react. And if I react in a negative way or try and you know, really hammer that nail down or so. Well, they're never going to be innovative again, right? They're just going to stay in their box and their lane. Um, and we're not going to grow as individuals and we're not going to grow as an organization. And and we have certainly done that. Uh, and I hope that I'm displaying that in the right way and encouraging that in the right way from my position. And and I think with the success that we have, that that, that is occurring. You know, we've expanded um, our capability significantly over the years. Um, in, in technological ways, but also just in our own protocols. And so going back to my own personal story of, hey, I have this foundation and I'm open to you know, the doors when they present themselves, um, I see similar things within the organization. Um, we have a foundation that is our mission, vision, and values. As we've scaled and we weren't sure what direction we were gonna go, we would go back to that foundation and that would guide our answers, but we would be open to um, these coincidences, opportunities, angel taps when they presented themselves um, that and that's allowed us to continue to be successful, but also be innovative and grow um, in our own way and and just expand this mission, expand the impact and and continue to grow. The idea of allowing people to make mistakes and be fluid in how they 
get out there and make things happen for themselves is a vital aspect of uh, serendipity, uh, re serendipity particularly, but synchronicity also. But the idea of being able to find new ideas is what serendipity tends to be about, where you can figure, where you are wanting to discover something, but you don't know what it is. It's like you kind of have an idea, you can recognize it, but it, not until it appears do you see that that's something you want to be able to do. In order to do that, you said that so well, Derek, it's like if you keep people structured and if you keep yourself structured, I mean, it's vital to say it's about yourself too. Oh, absolutely. You, 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 if you miss stuff that might come in because you got a wall around you. But if yeah. you allow yourself to like be open, like one guy would complain that universities took away uh, the Friday afternoon when researchers could just do whatever they wanted instead of following a protocol, rigidly doing what you're supposed to do, but just had Friday afternoons to just mess around in the lab and see what happens. Once that got lost, serendipity in laboratories became less likely because you just had to follow the protocol. And you're applying that very beautifully, really, very beautifully by, because it's clear about how you're doing that as a leader uh, of project recovery. Well, and you know, sometimes, and this has happened to me over and over again, where somebody presents an idea and my initial reaction is like, well, one, I never thought about that. And that sounds really <laughs> crazy, you know, or something. I, it doesn't, I don't know if this is going to be successful, but being willing to not say that, you know, just internally process that, but then say, okay, well, let's try it um, and see what happens. And I've been proven wrong in my mind many, many times over where I didn't think that that was necessarily the best route to go, but somebody comes in with a different idea and you, you're you open to it. And next thing you know, it exposes more and more and more. And that's that's one of those opportunities that if you didn't, if you just ignored or you shut the door, you know, you missed out. Well, that's fairly basic what you just described for what a leader should it's basic, do. Basic, but it's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. It's hard. It's and easy to talk about leadership. <laughs> it's difficult to practice. Uh, do you mind if I agree with you? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's why we get paid the big bucks, right? Well, that's why we get to do what we really enjoy doing. Uh, right and be able to like have a uh, multiplied impact. So, and that's your idea and it's mine too with the coincidence project to have increasing impact. And you're, you're, you have such a nice sense of this coincidence thing because you live it and it's like, well, okay, you're a fish in water. What's the difference? I mean, I, I didn't know I was in it really exactly, but unless you fly out of the water for a second, like a flying fish, Oh, Marine, you're a Marine. Water. <laughs> uh, now I understand. You fly yeah. and you, yeah. and you go underneath. <laughs> the Navy tries to do something like that, but they don't. Uh, and the Army is walking around on the earth. Then they try to do other things too. But you guys started as like uh, terrestrial amphibians. You were amph you're, you're an amphibian. So you can fly above and you can look below, you can be part of it and you can be looking at what's going on. That's just my way of thinking about it. You, you're doing it remarkably well. 
you're welcome. And I kind of know what I'm talking about because of I'm studying these things and to find you doing this in a very active kind of like, what's the big deal way. It's like, this is just what we do. I mean, it is not that easy sometimes, but that's what you do. It's kind, it's kind of uh, surprising and refreshing. And it's nice that uh, you're military because <laughs> military really is, you know, doing it in a clear way that you can communicate with each other about. And you've got that. You've developed that clarity, which I could get to with playing football and baseball. It's kind of a little similar. You just want to know how to do it. And you're doing it. Well, we're going to keep on doing it. That's well, what well, you don't have a choice. <laughs> That's right. I no. mean, this, this is you. And do you, do you help other people in your organization find their purpose within the organization and even without, because some probably have to leave to, to do something else to find, to do their passion. We are, well, we're a volunteer-based organization, so we have a number of people that have obviously their lives outside of our organization, but then they find, they fill their purpose bucket, if you will, um, with, with Project Recover. And so maybe, you know, the day-to-day -day life of building COGS or whatever it is, isn't, isn't providing that impact or that legacy that they want, but they find that with Project Recover. Um, and so, you know, we, we intentionally build leaders in, in the organization so it's not just me or the other people that have been in this organization for a while that are leading teams in on these missions it's it's the newer members it's people that are up and coming it's people that are expressing interests and capabilities that we're putting into those roles so that they can grow within the organization and find the same success um and and the impact that they that they want to have and so um we pay attention to that and 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 do what we can to put people into positions that will allow them to uh, be successful, grow and be innovative and all sorts of different things. Within the organization. Within the organization. But then I think that there's a ripple effect to that, right? You know, you learn that and then you can apply that into the other areas of your life. Just like I apply it in multiple areas across my life, not just Project Recover, but I mentioned I still do work in the higher education space. I still donate my time to other people and other organizations and my community um, because it's it's important to me. And and if I can find a way to be successful in one space and translate it to something else that I care about, then I'm certainly going to do so. Well, you you have something, Derek, that I I continue to encourage you to do. And you know, I'm selling a book. Okay, I'm out there selling a book. You know that, but. Uh, if the people are interested in how to think conceptually about what you're doing, uh, Meaningful Coincidences could be a book to help some people. And maybe even if you would take a look at it, it's like yeah, to, to, to see if there's, if there's stuff in there that helps you further conceptualize what you're doing because you, you have run across the angel taps, the meaningful coincidences, uh, in your in your way, and I, you know, why and how and who knows, but you're there, and I'm, I'm so uh, interested in what what you're doing and how you stumbled across it in your way, that uh, I want to be able to encourage even more what you're doing already, 
And that's what my book is intended to be able to do is to help structure and say, this isn't just uh, happening in Project Recover. This is just something Derek does or something I do. This is something that um, human beings do and can do and can get better at. And it, it may not be necessary because you're doing it well, but I would like to see how what I've written um, matches or informs even more what you're doing. I, I would be, I'd be, I'm very interested if you would. You well, know, I look forward to reading it. I am an avid reader, reader, and I think that's important to do, um, not only to learn, but to read about experiences and and you know live vicariously and learn vicariously through those experiences. Um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I, I learn something from every sing, single book that I read. Oh, nonfiction and fiction can be really informative. No yeah, question. I'm reading a piece of fiction right now, and uh, I find a lot of learning points yeah. in that. But uh, no, I, I look forward to to giving it a read. Well, if and when you do, please get back to me okay. uh, because uh, it might be worth another conversation to see yeah. what is happening with you because you're a gem for me in this uh, business, someone who's uh, just kind of running around there doing his life, who's <laughs> doing meaningful coincidences in such a good way, in such a pragmatic and heartfelt way. It's such a combination of what I'm trying to be able to see happen and you're doing it. So I want to keep in touch with how you're doing it and see what happens to you reading my book and maybe other people reading it. Um, and maybe even discussing it sometime because the, my mission is to do something like what you're doing, but in a, you have a very clear mission. Mine is to get people to be more sensitive to coincidences and use them something like what you're doing. So you're a model in the world of what I'm trying to help people do. Well, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Well, good. Uh, I do too. And so we're coming to the end of this, but Maybe you could leave us with uh, a little something about Derek Abbey. I couldn't start stop thinking about Downton Abbey because uh, <laughs> you've probably heard that before. Where is Derek Abbey? And is some is it outside of London someplace? Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm up in Bend, Oregon. So we just had our first snow here yesterday. I'm enjoying the the mountains being covered in white and uh, the the break in the temperature. But I'm right here in the smack dab in the middle of Oregon, just on the eastern slope of the Cascade Mountains. And I was in Seattle for 10 years, so I have a little idea of what you're, what, what That's it's where like. where I'm from there. originally. It's, uh... Okay, well, let's stop here, but I want to we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that. So, so Derek Abbey, thank you very much for, for being with me on the show and very much appreciate being able to talk with you and find out what you are up to, which is Wonderful to hear. Thank you, Bernard. I enjoyed it. This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.